Hey guys, how you doing today? Yeah, we, uh, we uh, who was here for Easter Good Friday? We had um, uh, 2,002 people in the building. I mean, we had our biggest weekend we've ever had in the history of the church. So thank you guys for being a part of it. Um, it was amazing. It was so much fun. And um, it's really fun because for us at the church, on staff, like for us, it's like, well, that was great. And we'll see you all again in November. I mean, it's just, church world is so funny. I mean, like, just from now until November, you know, people don't do regular attendance like, like we would like them to. Um, but we know that God did amazing things through uh, just the, the, the short amount of time that we were with some of our friends and neighbors and, and people who uh, call this place home. It's awesome that we had that time together. Um, we have started notes on these clipboards. They're underneath your seat. And if you want more information about the church or you want to get connected or you want to have someone pray for you, there's a connect card underneath that. You can fill that out and hand it in. And then also you can follow along. We do these notes because we want you to engage in the service um, as much as possible and writing things down can help that. And then also uh, we want you and we do actually take these notes and these discussions and we move them into our small group. A lot of our small groups that meet in people's homes throughout the week take the message that I give and continue to discuss it uh, throughout the week at their small group. And if you're interested in that, you can, you can um, uh, look into that through that card there. And uh, it's just a great way to continue the dialogue and take what happens on Sunday and bring it through the rest of the week. So that's why we do that. Uh, one of the, the great things about this time of year is um, a beautiful thing that we all get to watch till 8 o'clock tonight called the Masters. And the Masters is, is an amazing golf tournament. I love this golf tournament. And uh, you get to watch kind of the back nine and amen corner and all these amazing things play out on Sunday. And, of course, I remember like in 2008 and 2007 and just Tiger being in the mix. And it's fun to have Tiger back in even just in competition. It's really fun. Um, it makes me think of a, a story related to pastors and golfing. And uh, there's a story about a pastor who uh, every Sunday... He'd stand up and give a sermon. And then at the end of his sermon, he'd say, and you know what? Tomorrow I am going to go visit the orphanage. I'm going to go spend time with the kids. I'm going to go to this place and, and, and help all these kids. And everyone applauded him. That's great. And they loved their pastor. And their pastor went and represented them to the least of these. And so when Monday would come around, instead of actually going and uh, going to the orphanage, the pastor would grab his golf clubs and go to the golf course. And he would spend every Monday at the golf course alone doing that. And every week he'd stand up and say, today was great, I'm glad to be with you. Tomorrow I'm going back to the kids. And instead of going back to the orphanage, the pastor would go golf again. And he did this for months and months and months till eventually the angels in heaven went, something's got to change. Like, this is not okay. You can't do this. Someone needs to make this pastor pay for this because he's, he's lying. He's getting all this credit and he's not even doing God's work. We got to go after him. And so the angels had a little meeting and one of them said, I will be the one to go make the pastor pay for this. I'll take care of it. I'll handle it. And so that Sunday the pastor stood up, did his message, and ended by saying, and tomorrow I'm going to go to the orphanage. And just like every other Monday before that, he went and got his golf clubs, and he went and played golf. And as he got up on the first tee, he hit his shot, par four, and he hit it further than he's ever hit it before. And it 
landed on the front of the green, skipped across the green, right towards the pin, and went in, hole in one. And the pastor's like, what? This is the greatest day ever. So he goes to the next hole, and it's a par three, and he hits the ball straight up into the air, further and higher than he's ever hit it before. And it lands on the green, bounces next to the pin, and goes in, two in a row, two holes in one. Two in a row. And then he goes to the next. He goes, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. No one can see that. I can't believe this. He goes to the next hole, par five. And he has a nasty slice like the best of us. And he whips the ball. And it moves way to the right. And the wind catches it. And it comes all the way back around. And it lands on the green, par five. And rolls into the hole. Three in a row. And then he goes to the next hole. Four in a row. Hole in one. Five. Hole in one. Six. Hole in one. Seven. He goes through all 18 holes. And gets a hole in a one on every single hole. And he is just ecstatic. I mean, can you imagine? People say that the worst day on the golf course is better than the best day in the office. But this is the best day on the golf course. And he just had it. And as soon as he gets done with his 18th hole and his last hole in one, the angels all go to the angel that's supposed to make this pastor pay for lying and say, what are you doing? You were supposed to make him pay. You were supposed to, like, you know, go after him and punish him. And come on, what are you, what are you doing? He just had the best day ever. And he goes, oh, yeah, I am making him pay. How are you making him pay? He goes, yeah, he just had the best day ever. But he can't tell anyone. He can't tell a soul. And, I've, of course, all the angels go, ah, nice job, Gabriel. Church joke. And, look, the truth of this story is that we as people are designed to connect to other people. And no matter how great our lives are, it means nothing if we live in a vacuum and we don't connect with the people around us. You can do the greatest thing. You can have the greatest moment. But if you don't get to share that with someone, then you are missing the point of that moment. Because we are designed to have a relationship with people and ultimately a relationship with God that is shared. Uh, One author put it this way, our greatest desire is the attention of those we desire. You see, ultimately, inside of every one of us, it's not just an experience to have. It's not just something to do. It's not just to understand something. It's not just to behave a certain way. But what we want in our hearts is we want to connect with people. And we want people who we desire to desire us back. And we want to take our lives, the greatest moments, the hills and the valleys, and we want to connect them with people. And when we connect to people, When we take our greatest days, our worst days, and we connect with people, what that does is give us a God-ordained experience called belonging, called community, called connection, that God has written inside of every single one of us, that we are designed to have great relationships and designed to share who we are with other people. Uh, This is your first fill in the blank. To put it one way, our greatest longing is to belong. We don't want to just be someone. We want to be someone to somebody. We want to be next to somebody. We want to be close to somebody. And here's the thing about the church and the thing that I want to just just honestly download on you guys as we move out of the Easter season into the summer months and into the time when we engage people at a different level and, you know, we kind of go back outside and we see people we haven't seen for months and we start to live our lives amongst people is that the church 
And when I say the church, this room and the people who are followers of Christ and also the, just all of us individually in our lives, we are supposed to be the people who bring this idea of belonging into reality for other humans. We are called to bring dignity, to bring respect, to bring honor, to bring belonging, a sense of connection and connectivity between humans because we are called to live our lives the way that Jesus did. And the way that Jesus lived his life was belong, believe, behave. You see, a lot of us think about the church and we think about certain things that make it okay for someone, first of all, just to walk through these doors. And you might have already been changed to a degree where you think, you know, anyone can come through these doors. But ultimately, when you start thinking individually, you think, I have a line of morality. And everybody has a, you know, a, a line of morality. And we live in the age of moral relativism where what's good for you is good for you and good for me is good for me. And, and we all have this line that can be crossed. But the reality is, is that we do have that line. And we have family members or friends who they, in our minds, belong and they're acceptable and they can connect and be in this room or be in our lives. But if they go over that line, then it's like, ooh, they don't belong. They don't belong. If they behave that way, if they, if they uh, identify with a certain lifestyle, the transgender community, homosexual community, you see, this is the thing about the different lines. You see, to, to a certain group, they might go, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But then we have a line that goes, well, it's, it's, it's not okay. They just crossed the line. And ultimately, God, he has a line that transcends all the lines. And no matter where you are, no matter what you think about right, wrong, good, bad, doesn't matter, God actually showed us that the way that he views people is no matter what the line is, it doesn't matter because he does not operate the way that we do. He doesn't operate like this. If you behave, then if you start to understand, you can be here. If you act a certain way, then you're in. And then you start to understand and you can articulate, now you belong. You see, the church for hundreds of years has been, hey, there's certain behaviors, there's certain things you have to do, there's certain uh, lifestyles and directions you have to ascribe to in order to be a part of us. And here's where the confusion comes in. You see, the scriptures actually teach that technically, and you need to get it technically, that not all people are children of God. You see, when we say that we're children of God, generally what that means is, Everyone is made in the image of God, and everyone is valuable to God, and everyone is beautiful, and it has an intrinsic meaning and purpose, and that's because we're all image bearers of God. But when we talk about being in the family of God, you see, from a Christian perspective, what that means is someone has decided to place their faith in the person of Jesus. And when they do, now they're in the church, the gathering, the ecclesia, the followers of Jesus. And so what's happened over the years is we have made that a threshold. We have said if they don't believe in Jesus or they don't behave like they uh, believe, then they don't belong. So you have to behave or ascribe to be proximate to us. And ultimately, this played out in different nations with wars and battles and individual efforts and 95 theses and all different kinds of things have happened as a result of this idea that if you don't behave, you don't belong. And even today, 
there are those of us who if we think about church, we might have this kind of vanilla, this general idea. Everyone belongs, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what you, your, your background is, no matter what your sexual orientation is, God loves everybody. But then when you move it to yourself, you actually have this thing for whatever it is, God forbid it's ethnicity, there's still, that is rampant today, sex, sexual orientation, gender, whatever it is, we have this thing that's like, ooh, like God loves you. But you, you know, I'm not going to say it out loud, but I don't want to be proximate to you. I'm not going to get within, you know, like huggable distance of you. And I'm certainly not going to have a conversation with you. And I'm certainly not going to try to understand your point of view. And that's all because this idea of being in the church or righteousness has been twisted because we think that Jesus Christ came to this earth and was this holy being that distanced himself and created this holiness or otherness that means you better get on board with behavior before you get on board with who this guy is. And it couldn't be further from the truth. You see, Jesus Christ did the opposite of this. Jesus Christ, actually, if you look closely at his life, he went and radically flipped this on its head. And he said, oh, look, I'm going to be around you guys, all you band of rebels, anything that has been written that is wrong, any behavior that could be described. Jesus was born into it, and then he spent time around it, and then he went after a group of people who were the epitome of brokenness, bad behavior, outcasts, outsiders, non-credible witnesses, and he said, you belong. And what happens is when we understand that Jesus pulled those that were far away in their behavior and their belief close, it changes the way we view people. It changes the way God transforms people's lives. You see, the story that we just spent time on last week is a story of Jesus hanging on a cross. Jesus hanging on a cross to die for our sins. Ultimately, when Jesus is on the cross, he is separated from his father. One way to look at it is this. Jesus disconnected from God so you could be connected to God. You see, Jesus was beaten and he was tortured and it was shameful and he was naked and it was brutal. But ultimately, when he's on the cross, he has a moment, and we looked at it deeper um, over the weekend, where he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is the same thing as saying this. God, we have no relationship. Just for a second. If the greatest desire is the desire of those we desire, if the greatest longing is to belong, what Jesus did on the cross with his, think about this, how it plays out in your relationships. You have this intrinsic desire to be connected to who? Mom and dad. Jesus on the cross, he broke ties, was completely separated, dead from his father. The epitome of belonging, the epitome of desire of those you desire was matched on the cross. Jesus was separated, dead from his father. Wanting to share relationship, feeling a sense of belonging, Jesus was alone. He was lonely. He was dead. And he was disconnected from God. And the reason that he did that was so that you and I could be connected. So that was death. He stepped in place, he goes, I'll be disconnected from God 
so that you could be connected to God because someone had to pay the penalty and he paid the penalty for sin, which was death. He was disconnected from the most important relationship anyone can ever have. He was disconnected from his father and then he came back to life and he gave us the opportunity to be connected to God through his resurrection. Now here's, here's this crazy truth. You see, Jesus on the cross is symbolized in the very beginning of one of the books of the Bible in John where John actually, the author John, says of John the Baptist, who was a prophet, when he sees Jesus, says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. So in John, the fourth gospel in the New Testament, we see Jesus as a sacrifice. And that's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's I'm the Lamb of God paying the penalty of death so that everyone, if they believe in me, can have eternal life. But Matthew, the author of the first book of the New Testament, says that the same John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, says, behold, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is introduced through Jesus. In John, at the very beginning, it's he's here to save us from our sins, to be disconnected from God so that we can be connected to God. Both are true. Oftentimes, we live in this world of your role on earth is to be reconnected through God, through the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And that is all true. And at a spiritual level, there's no more important, profound, emphatic relationship that you could ever, ever have. You get it through God disconnecting from his son and reconnecting you. But Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand is the author saying, this Jesus will go and die so you can have a reconnection with God, but everything that happens in his life will show you how you're supposed to live. Here's the kingdom of God. Here's the way you should live. Here's the way you should think. And ultimately, what Jesus does is he says, look at my profound proximity to the people who you might not connect with. So he's disconnected from God so you can be connected to God spiritually and then he connects to the people that we reject. Jesus Christ connected to the people who were rejected. And this is a picture of our lives and what it should look like when we say, I believe in the Lamb of God. We also should go to Matthew and say, I believe in the kingdom of heaven. And when you start to look at the kingdom of heaven, it's profound in terms of relationships. Now, there's a couple things I just want to point out because I'm so excited about this, okay? If you look at the Gospels, you see a God who spent time with people who most people would never spend time with. In fact, according to the law, People who were sick, like had leprosy, you weren't even supposed to touch them because they were ceremonial, un, ceremonially unclean. Jesus came in, and while other rabbis would move away from them, he moves in and touches them. It's scandalous. Touches them. Heals them. And when you start to look at the people who Jesus surrounded himself with, you see an amazing, profound reality. And it's this. If you and I surrounded ourselves or we viewed people the way Jesus viewed people and surrounded ourselves with those people, would not the kingdom of God, would not the love of God, would not the transformation of God or the connection with God that happened on the cross be more appealing to people? That's the profound reality. 
And so when we look at Jesus' life, I just want to show you how inclusive Jesus was of the people who you and I typically rejected. First one is this. It just starts with the, with the Easter story. People society belittled were included. You see, the scriptures show us that after Jesus rose from the dead, this is so amazing. And, and I never thought about it this way. Jesus raises from the dead and some women show up. And after the men show up and see that there's an empty tomb, they go away. And it says that Jesus had a conversation. And Mary Magdalene is crying. And he says, woman, why are you crying? And then after she says, oh, they took him away and she thought he was a gardener. He says, Mary. The first name that Jesus spoke after his resurrection was a woman's name. You see, at that time, a woman was viewed like a child, sometimes less, not a credible witness, not important, not someone viable to bring anything into historical accuracy. If God really wanted us to believe historically that he rose from the dead, he would have never, ever gone to a woman first or spoke a woman's name. When Jesus raises from the dead with a transformed body, which represents a totally new type of life, and talks to a woman first, what he's saying is everything you thought about these people is totally different now. These people deserve honor, dignity, respect. They are going to be, and in fact, the women who followed Jesus were the first gospel preachers. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, settled the whole wage dispute that we still can't figure out today. He said, oh, you don't want to pay him? I'm going to give him the biggest job of all time. Jesus broke the mold. I mean, if we don't understand, you understand the gospels, these, these stories of Jesus were written 50 to 80 years after Jesus. If those writers were trying to prove that Jesus was real, they would have changed this part of the story. They would have gone back and said, mm, Peter was there, and they would have excluded a woman because a woman was not a viable re resource for something to have actually happened. Jesus profoundly says, you who exclude women, I include women. I have brought the people who you societally don't think belong around me right next to me with the most important message. Now stop. Who is that today? Who is it? And this is when this gets funky because everybody has a different line. Morality, you know, ethical behavior, sexual orientation, uh, background, what they've done. Who is it? Who, who are the people that you and I would go, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Jesus comes and raises from the dead. They're not going to have them around the first time. Last service, one of our partners was here. Rich Halcom, and uh, he runs the Stowe Mission downtown. And they feed 90,000 people a year, and they have a free dental clinic, and they help all kinds of people. One of the things they do that's so amazing is on Thursday nights, they have a church service for registered sex offenders because they're not allowed to go to church. This is, your money goes to this person. This should make you proud. These people are not allowed to go to church because they can't be proximate to children. So Rich said, well, they need a place. 
because they need to know the gospel and they need to be included and they need to know they belong. Now, if you were ever going to pick belong, believe, behave and reverse it and go, well, they got to get something right first before they can engage in who God is. They got to they behave. I mean, their behavior, doesn't it omit, exclude them from the kingdom of God? Not according to rich and not according to Jesus. And my friends, in no way am I trying to make a direct connection to women now and that type of behavior. What I'm saying is, in that time, these were the people, women, that would have been excluded from proximity to Jesus. Who is that now? Jesus would be right with them. Jesus would be next to them. Jesus would have showed them that they belong. That's just one. Look at this next one. People who didn't understand were included. In John chapter 20, verse 9, it says, after the disciples looked into an empty tomb, it actually says that after they saw the empty tomb, it says something like, this is the Joel paraphrase, it says in parentheses in in verse 9, and the disciples still didn't understand from the scriptures that Jesus would be raised from the dead. You see, a lot of us go, you know, they probably understood because Jesus had started talking about resurrection. And even though they scattered when he was arrested, you think, you know, they figured out when the tomb was empty that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, Jewish people actually do have some notes about the Messiah and about resurrection that were written in the Old Testament. And these people who couldn't be closer to their heritage and their history didn't understand that Jesus would raise from the dead. And Jesus has them as followers. They didn't understand. What does this mean? This means that you and me exist to surround ourselves as kingdom builders with people who don't understand. If you have this idea that yeah, you're going to have to learn, you're going to have to, you got to figure, you're going to get the basics, you mean, if you don't know John 3, whatever it is, you don't belong. This is completely the antithesis of the way Christ lived his life on earth. Because people who didn't understand were included. People who didn't get it were his closest followers. They didn't get it until Jesus went and showed himself to them. They touched his hands. They heard a message. They were recommitted, recommissioned. Then they went out and told everybody. Then they went out and died. The whole time that he was on earth living this life, he surrounded himself with people who didn't understand Here's another one. People who didn't believe were included. I mean, the scriptures show us that the disciples took a long time to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't even believe in him. Oh, he's just a a rabbi, a teacher. You know, actually what the scriptures show us is that because Jesus was a rabbi and he had influence, that when he called disciples, that that wasn't like, oh, come and be a part of the kingdom of God and a part of this divine orchestrated moment for the kingdom to come to earth. It was actually, I'm a rabbi, and rabbis are the upper echelon of society, and if you follow me, you could have a big future. So one could argue that when the disciples dropped their nets to go become fishers of men, that actually they were just selfish and looking for a better life. You could say that they believed in themselves more than they believed in Jesus. Jesus kept them around. I mean... Jesus says 
to Peter in John 21 in this exchange, do you love me? And Peter says, Jesus, I love you. You know all things. I mean, you don't think Jesus knew that the people who were in his closest circle didn't believe in him? And he included them. Who else? People who didn't behave were included. I mean, this is, there's two really big obvious ones. The first one is Matthew, the author of the first book of the New Testament, who was a tax collector. And we talk about Matthew as the tax collector all the time. The idea is he's a Jewish person who worked for Rome to take taxes from his countrymen and give them to Rome, give the money. So he stole money from his own countrymen to give it to, to Romans. He was absolutely hated. And in their minds, he sold out. He had sold out to Rome. I mean, that, that is not just like you and me, like working for a, a company that exports or develops products in China. This is, you have rejected the God of Abraham, the God of Moses. You've rejected all that is meaningful and real to us for Caesar. This is, this is horrible. This is be, horrible behavior. What we find is that Jesus goes right up to a tax collector. You just have to get this. This is the person you would exclude. This is the person who decidedly, ethically, morally stepped over the boundary and Jesus went back on the other side of it and said, hey, come and be a part of this thing. And it says in the Matthew chapter 9 that he went and had dinner at his house with all of Matthew's tax collector friends. This is the Jesus who we are worshiping who was proximate to people who didn't behave. Another great example of, of someone who doesn't behave is after Jesus raises from the dead and then ascends, the Christian movement, the way, the little Christ gets crazy. People start sharing the gospel. A bunch of people start believing. And so Jewish authorities put together a band of a brute squad led by a guy named Saul who goes and kills people who are publicly professing the name of Jesus. This man Saul oversees in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7, the stoning of Stephen. He oversees this stoning moment. Then in Acts chapter 9, fifth book of the New Testament, go read it, God, Jesus, directly goes after a murderer of Christians and says, I want you, Paul, to go and be my mouthpiece to the Gentiles. What? Someone who doesn't behave was ex like included and commissioned to go not only be around Jesus, but to bring the message of the New Testament. I mean, I digress. Paul writes 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He has multiple missionary journeys all over the modern world because of Paul. We have the book of Ephesians. We have the book of Colossians. We have First and Second Corinthians. I mean, we have Philippians. We, I mean, we have all these letters that tell us what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus went after a murderer and said, you're included. And of course, the, the, the craziest one is people who, were, who betrayed Jesus were included. I mean, you know the story of Judas, and Judas is the guy that takes care of the money, and Jesus trusts him for three years with the money. He knows all things. He's going to betray me. Trust him the whole time. Then he betrays him. And, of course, Judas takes his own life because he 
he, he has this moment he doesn't, under, doesn't understand how big it is in the moment, and then he kills himself. He just can't believe that he turned his back on this, this Jesus character. And we think of Judas and that he was included, and you should, three and a half years included, proximate, handling the money. Jesus included people he knew would bite him, stab him in the back. I mean, that, that, that is radical. I'm sorry. If you knew that someone was going to turn their back on you, would you invite them along? It shows the heart of Jesus. It shows the heart of God. I mean, the obvious one is Judas, but also, you know, Peter betrayed and turned his back and denied Jesus. He turned his back on him. And Jesus kept him close. And Jesus recommitted him. Jesus included people who did not believe in him, why won't we? Why won't we? Why won't we? Why isn't this place full of people who don't behave the way God wants them to and don't believe? Why? It's because we don't live our lives individually, in our groups, in our groups, in our families, in such a way that we go so radically into the lives of people who we think should be excluded, we just informally believe that, that they're not around here. And that's the tragedy. That, that's, that's the brokenness. That's the sad reality is that Jesus showed us, hey, here's the way, I'm the lamb. And then he said, here's the kingdom of God, here's the way to live. And we just, we don't want it. We want the lamb. We don't want the kingdom of God. We don't want to live this thing out. We don't want to draw people who are outsiders. We don't want to have a radical band of scoundrels around us. Here's what hangs in the balance. If we don't include those who don't believe, they may never believe. I mean, it's a simple thing, right? They're never going to believe. I mean, how are they going to believe if we don't include them? I mean, what scriptures say that without a message or a message, they're not going to hear it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we don't include them, how are they going to find out? How are they going to know Jesus? How are they going to experience unconditional love if you don't include them? Here's another thought. If we don't include those who don't believe, others may never believe. So it's not just the people who don't believe, but it's all the people that they know. You see, what happens so radically is when someone who is an outsider to the faith or an outsider and you are proximate to them and you have a, a very strong relationship with God is, is when they get saved or when they meet Jesus or they, they have in a moment or whatever it is, they just start to engage other people. And so when we don't include those who don't believe, we're not just excluding them, we're excluding a lot of other people. You see, outsiders, people that don't know Jesus or don't know you, who are included care for outsiders who feel excluded. You see, it's amazing when someone who knows God just gets brought into a relationship with God because of you or because of a local church and how they feel a genuine burden for people who don't know because they, they, they were just there. They were just there. After last service, I did this message and a high school girl came up to me and she said, um, she said, I'm in theater, and I just gave my life to Christ, but most of my theater friends are outcasts, and I don't know how to connect with them. She said, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some of the things you talked about today. 
Because when we include outsiders, this keeps the focus on the kingdom of God. You see, things that are healthy are supposed to grow, and we are supposed to go include those who feel excluded. Now, there's a, an article in Psychology Today, and it's amazing, it's profound. It's the loneliness cure, and you should go read it. But what I'm talking about is people's desire to be connected. The inverse of that is this loneliness experience. And it's not being alone. It's actually feeling loneliness. And see, people who love God and follow God, when we bring the kingdom of God, we should be the conveyors and the portrayers of what it means to have a relationship with God. So we should be like moving into people's lives and making sure that no one feels lonely and making sure that everyone belongs, no matter what they've done. No matter where they've come from, we should be the people that draw them in. This should mark us as Christ followers, as little Christians, is to include people that feel excluded. And when they are excluded, they go through this thing called loneliness. And this, this, this article is profound. It teaches that loneliness, people that don't feel they belong, that it is actually more lethal than, than obesity, that it's more le lethal than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day for your lungs, that actually people who are experiencing loneliness and haven't been grabbed into the community of followers because they belong, whether they believe or they behave, that they are living a lethal trajectory. People need to experience a sense of belonging. There's a story in here about a city in Italy that because they've built their community around connection with others, that their life expectancy, listen, their life expectancy because they all communicate belonging all the time is sometimes three, uh, three decades longer than the average in Europe and in America. They have the most people in the world who live over 100 because they have figured out this loneliness piece. And so there's some practical things that you can do because if we're going to bring the kingdom of God, if we're going to be Christ, um, I, I just want to share a couple things with you and then I'll close. Here's just a couple thoughts, some boots on the ground things. Talk to strangers. Now, if you're seven, don't talk to strangers. All right. But if you're 17, talk to strangers. Okay, like talk to them. And actually, there's a, there's a, uh, a part in this article that talks about the seven-minute minimum talking to people. Man, I, I honestly, sometimes I struggle like to connect with people in the grocery store or whatever, so I do this thing. I'm just, just total vulnerability. I do this thing where like in order to make sure that everyone feels loved, I turn my feet and face them, and I, I, I intentionally engage them for at least two minutes. And I learned by reading this article that actually for people to break through, you have to talk for seven minutes. This is the kingdom of God. I mean, if everyone's supposed to feel they belong, will you talk to a stranger? Will you talk to just someone you see for seven minutes? This means you have to really care about people. People that know me really well know that is hard for me. FaceTime. Don't, don't settle for a text conversation. If they live down the street, say, hey, let's get together. And if you can't get together, instead of texting or talking, FaceTime them. Because studies show that actually seeing people changes people. 
Be careful on social media. There's a study recently done that the amount of people you can effectively balance in community is 110. And once you go over that, then you kind of lose a sense of self. And so social media, it gives this faux experience of community and you feel like you belong. But actually in order for you to feel like you belong, you have to keep the number of people that you engage with genuinely to 110 or lower. And so you have to be careful, guys. Having more friends is not more friends. Be a good neighbor. Go to your neighbor's house. Knock on the door. Have a dinner party. Invite them over. Get creative. There's a whole commentary on the kingdom of God and the, and the Sabbath day and how God created the world in six days and rested on the Sabbath. And I've recently been reading this author that talked about how that seventh day of rest is actually a day of recreation or recreation. And one of the greatest aspects of a follower of Christ is to be creative. And when we are creative, we express ourselves in such a way that invites other people in. And so one of the greatest things you can do is make something because when you make something, it's designed to be shared. Talk about it, have a conversation. And of course, the basic when there's nothing else to say, you need to hug. We need to become huggers. Give people a hug. Reach out and hug someone because they need to experience how much you love them. Belong is the way Jesus lived. There's a process of what that will do to change what people think and feel. And God will change people's lives if we trust the process. So let's just take a minute and pray. Father, thank you so much for radically doing this model, living it out in front of us, showing us a different and better way to live. We worship you. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.